up, everyone? Welcome to Desolation Radio with me, your boy, Kieran Smith. Um, you're with Nath as ever. How's it going, Nath? Right? I, I'm good. So how are you, Kieran? Yeah, pretty good. How, how are you enjoying life? Um, I wasn't. I was getting a bit better. I know what you mean. Yeah, life is like... Oh, oh shit. No. Um, okay. Hold on. Uh, um, just put that away. Right. It's fine. Uh, yeah, fine. Hey, all right, boys. All oh, right, Dan. How's it going? All right, Dan. How's it going? What are you up to? Nothing. Just, just ha- hanging out. Just chilling. Uh, I was trying to work out, um, like, if there's a way to kind of clean this equipment by wearing it. Just uh, testing out the lights on the yeah. the mixing. Desk. All the lights are working. Yeah, the lights are working. Did, are the knobs working as well? Yeah. Uh, yeah, one of them definitely your head, was. Why you got your headphones in then? Um, just lately, I've just been like really well, bad, like see. sensitive to sound. So don't raise your voice too much. Why? But I can see the levels there. What? Yeah, we just have you have you been trying to no, use we, 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 me on the podcast? No, we're just checking what levels are best. Why is Kieran wearing my clothes? I just don't know. They do fit quite nicely, actually. They do. This is unbelievable. Yeah. You're trying I to kick me off the podcast? I don't know. No, 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 no. I mean, not. it's no. We may have changed the name. A, yeah, more but like, homage. yeah. <laughs> this is this is yeah. It's just you should be honoured to be on it. Just like yeah. we just. Dressing like you and pretending we're Look, Dan. We love Is that you what you respect? You do you? What's the, do your impression? Do your impression of me speaking? I could hear you doing an impression of me. All right, Dan Evans, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Desolation Radio. How are you, Nath? All right, unseen. <laughs> for uh, for those who didn't know, um, Dan was the one who said unseen. Unseen. Yeah. That's enough of that. Uh, yeah. Well, it is a bit. Can be a bit weird because like, Kieran and I are the. Um, it's like the Spider-Man meme, you know, like the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, um, so basically Kieran is going to be... is joining us now as a host, co-host of Desolation Radio. And well, we're host, really. Host, the host. Yeah. A you, ghost you of Desolation stars. Radio. <laughs> I've been demoted to co-host. Um, yeah. I've been promoted. To... Cleaner. T-boy. <laughs> um, okay, so Kieran is a expert on all things cultural no, and, um, you know, the sort of the bourgeois sphere of life and... We wanted rub to rub shoulders with the yeah. bourgeois. We wanted, well. we wanted to basically focus on on culture a bit more, and in this episode, Kieran is going to be explaining to us using a lot of Raymond Williams, you know, why culture matters and why we should be discussing it a bit more. Can I just say, well, originally the this episode was going to be designed as like an introduction to the thinking of to, to Raymond Williams' thought, basically. Well, we tried doing that episode, and my, basically my head exploded. Oh, yeah, and Kieran, it's a bit like from Scanners. Kieran, it's, Kieran, it's like yeah. Kieran got rattled so much by having to do a podcast, he actually went to Portugal for like <laughs> yeah. six weeks. Is your, you put him in a cage yeah. and started banging stuff though, and waterboarding him. Yeah. yeah um, the thing is, yeah, I'm. Yeah, you all right I'm, now? I'm getting there. Yeah. He's back my stronger. Tells me that I'm doing really well. <laughs> He's back, um, but just not to read ev- ever read Raymond Williams ever again. Is yeah. What you almost advised, died of thirst, didn't you? I just can't resist. It's so his, so his prose style is just so compelling. <laughs> the, the, the addicted. What's going to be amazing about Kieran <clears throat> talking about Raymond Williams is that Raymond Williams is this you know, incredible leftist thinker, universally respected on the left. Although, I mean, I think the elephant in the room is that if you've ever actually tried to read Raymond Williams. He's so boring. Like the prose is so turgid and awful, and it just it's such it's just really hard going. So some of it's all right. Some of it's all right. Looking like forward. One, to it. One of the in fact, when you open the book, just sand comes down out of every page. It's so dry. <laughs> it does make you very thirsty. I've got a glass of water yeah. just talking about it. Looking Originally, forward, his book was printed on um, a packet of crackers. <laughs> Looking forward to <laughs> but it's good for you. It's, it's wholesome, meaty material. It's like eating rabita or something. Yeah, it's that's like true. tastes bad, but you know it's good for you. The real reason we wanted to speak about culture wasn't because we wanted to open up a new way of thinking about contemporary Welsh society, but because we obviously want to get 
some funding from like the Welsh Welsh Books Council or Arts Council or something like that. Yeah. And that's the real that's the real reason if, in case anyone's wondering. We have tried to get a money by writing for Nation, but they don't pay, so that was a also that was a no go. It would be good to get Michael Sheen on if we can sort of build up some more credibility. That's yeah, a dead end now, I think. Yeah. So I've been worried about this because obviously we've got a very unique brand. Obviously we're a proletarian podcast. We've got a unique brand. We're respected on the streets. Um, yeah, you know, the aesthetic is like it's like for real. We're, lis- the... we're listened to, you know, in the in the hood, in the yeah. slums. Yeah, it's gritty. Um, you know, we have hip hop as our introductory got music. Really, know. kind yeah. of. Um, I've got a shaved head. Yeah, yeah. Well, shaved yeah. for other reasons. <laughs> um, we're, really, we're trainers. I'm really respected in the underground roller skating scene. Yeah, we're just you know it's a, it's a thugged, yeah. thugged out podcast. You wear shorts and t-shirts. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's just yeah, it's just we're street guys, yeah. street yeah. guys, and um, obviously talking about culture, Crass, yeah. talking about culture and art and literature and stuff is just um, is not what we're about. You yeah, know you're, you're vul- you know you're vulgar. Yeah, you know. <laughs> It's not. It's just not. It's not what we're about. So I'm a bit worried about this. Unsophisticated. But are you are you saying that? So why why should tough guys like us? Why should tough guys? Why should a couple of hunks? Why should a couple of tough guys from the streets? Working class, gritty hunks. Some hard men. Culture. Hmm. Yeah. Why should we care about culture? That's a good question. It's not for us. I don't know. You know I culture's suppose... theatre, Nick. Culture's, you know, art galleries and all that. I've Cal- never been to an art gallery. I've never been to. Opera. A, I've yeah, never been, been to opera, opera. theatre. No, no, I've just. I spent my days. I went to the ballet once, so when the dancers got an erection class it was, it was really <laughs> good suggesting those because you were there in the audience or... no i was just happy to observe I thought it they like... wore cod pieces man how can you tell no it was just proper like slipping up his side it was and it was just like oh i was like look at that, that you guy's asked, got a bone you went to the ballet yeah well, yeah it's changed everything exactly, yeah yeah it's a matthew bourne but it wasn't any of the other identity ones like i don't know why why you should talk about culture i think that's one of the things that we need to try and establish maybe one way of looking at it is to look at it as being a problem of the definition of the word culture and what we think of what we mean by culture. Because if, you know, being the like cool working class guys that you are, mm. that you've got no interest in culture, well, what, what uh, do you think you mean by the word culture? Um, like Actimel and stuff. <laughs> no, I think, okay. I mean, I think culture is... What do you think of when you say, when, I think uh, about when you say the word culture? theatre, poetry, art, just basically bourgeois... Self-indulgent, arty wankers—that's what I think of. Yeah. And my level of class hatred now is is so in, <laughs> is so incredibly intense that anyone who is remotely, you know, affect you know, because I know you're wearing a, a turtleneck at the moment mm. and, yeah, a, and yeah, a berry and a Jacobean um, ruff. He's got which, uh, sent me into a, a rage yeah. earlier. Yeah. Um, no, but it's like you know, it's like Marky Smith, you know, the guy from the Fall. He said like. Producing art is great. Being arty makes you a wanker. Mm-hmm. And like, in, in spite of myself, I do. Dis- I I can't help but hate. Yeah. The anyone other middle than cl- yourself. Anyone who's not a, exactly, exactly the like, same as me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I despise. Yeah. Um, no, that's understandable. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, it's a pretentious, arty, elitist. I think with it as well. Cosseted. Yeah, you know, because all, all artists and writers and musicians are all like yeah. That. I think yeah. with it as Every well, it's one. just like oh, I'm into art for the sake of liking art. I like it. It's you know, it's 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 been yeah. kind of established as being you know brilliant. So that's yeah. what, that's what, that's, what, that's so when I think of culture, mm. I think of you think of it sort of it's kind of an elitist idea. Yeah, then. yeah. I just think of wankers. And, uh, what, and what people don't actually know what they're on thinking about. of. What, what does it bring to mind? When well, I say I'd, I'll give you. So when you said ballet, that's good. I went to Bristol a few weeks ago, and that's quite an arty <clears> scene. And as I was walking past a shop, this uh, 
uh, woman was just like, oh yeah, lately I've just been really exploring the swamp that is art. And I was like, shut up, you stupid twat. <laughs> and then like just other things in the sense of like, you, you know, with art culture in general or art scenes, no one will critique each other or criticize because it's I don't just, know about it's, that. Yeah, it's, so no, it's just it sometimes can be pretty brutal, but yeah, I, but I mean, in terms of it's just like not real people. That's mm. the, I just it's just the pretensions. So it's imagine, like it? pretentious and elitist, and somehow above like the everyday, yeah, yeah above what's yeah. happening in everyday life, and like not relevant to what's. That's happening. exactly how I conceive it. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, completely relevant. We're talking about your Rembrandts. We're talking about your Vermeers. We're yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about your yeah. uh, Caravaggios. So because they or most of this activity happens in art galleries and yeah, and buying museums, closed doors. Then therefore, it's not relevant to what's happening in austerity. Are you today. saying that this is not the case? Um, I'm saying. That is a bit the case. <laughs> I'm but saying you're completely right. There are other ways of thinking about it. <gasps> there, <laughs> there could be. Dan's just on the Home Alone face <laughs> um, when Michael Jackson walks and in. I think without trying to give like a comprehensive overview of um, Raymond Williams's work and you know, the, the sort of yeah, just try and do that in the next five minutes. Yeah. Um, Raymond Williams is to use a good word that you like to use, Dan, a good heuristic for thinking about these things. I had a word of the day, toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> I like that word. Colour it in, can't you? Um, <laughs> and some of his ideas are really useful in terms of thinking about the relationship between culture and, and everyday life and everyday society. Because I think there's still, in Raymond Williams's terms, you would say the definition of the word culture is still kind of freighted with what he would call dominant you know, ideas, which actually have pretty archaic now but they're still they still dominate and they still hold sway over the way that societies think about what we mean by the term culture would we be referring to the canon in a sense yeah i suppose the canon uh, or one way of thinking about the cat you know a canon of literature being the you know as matthew arnold would have said in the 19th century you know the, the best has been thought and said in the world and so and he fired a canon after it yeah basically he would fire a canon every time i love canons. every time yeah. Yeah, he said... And trebuchets. Yeah. What's your reckon would win? A cannon or a trebuchet? Oh, cannon. Is it? Yeah. Do you reckon you could take a cannonball oh, you to, did, oh, to the body? There's a different, there's a different, different meaning cannon. Oh, right, okay. So that's another My thing bad. that Raymond Williams is interested in, is the fact that words have different meanings. But obviously, it's difficult <laughs> for you to understand that. I do find it hard. Yeah. But... Like who and how, that's a word with two different meanings, isn't it? Yeah. But I think, actually, well, what Raymond Williams would suggest is that the, the dominant definitions that we have of the word culture actually reveal quite a lot of the innate prejudices of the society in which that word has, has found meaning. You know, that's one of the things that he's interested in, the way that language embodies certain ideas and all that are ideas that are always political and politicized, right? So a lot of Raymond Williams's work, early work, was based really on looking at especially the sort of the long 19th century and the way that the, the definition of culture sort of became cemented and crystallized around a certain kind of set of values, particularly by the late 19th century, right? So the idea of culture around that time started taking on the idea that culture was something above society, that culture is transcendental, and that it embodies the sort of best values that a society can possibly hold. And therefore, everyone in any given society or community should sort of, should, you know, appeal to that and immerse themselves in that culture in order to make themselves kind of better people, you know, better citizens, better subjects of a particular society, right? 
And so, you know, Matthew Arnold is one of the key thinkers in these terms because, you know, his book written in the 1860s, Culture and Anarchy, you know, he's establishing a definition of culture as something that, you know, we don't want the masses to sort of start thinking for themselves in the most, you know, basic terms. So let's let's establish a canon of culture that we can that we can teach people uh, that will embody a set of values that that we want to impose on society, right? So Terry Eagleton, actually, one of Raymond Williams' students, had quite a good way of talking about this. He used the idea of if you don't throw the masses a few books, they may start throwing up a few barricades, right? So it's the idea of culture as being something that embodies a set of universal, transcendental values that you use that to cultivate in, in the masses, let's say, a sort of more refined sense, more refined sensibilities and aesthetic sensibilities that will make them more malleable, sort of almost placate them in so a sense. It has a, them so it has, qualified kind of. So it has a political people. end then. Yeah, so what I'm broadly saying is that Raymond Williams was one of the thinkers in the 20th century, you know, adopting Marxist theory to critique the ways in which culture had found that kind of definition and that society, that you know, the dominant class in society, if you like, had freighted the idea of culture with a set of meanings and that that set of meanings still holds sway today, you know, 50 years after Raymond Williams even wrote that thesis. So you said Matthew Arnold, I've just been reading Politics and Letters, which is the interviews with New Left Review. Yeah, it's quite um, a long book. Yeah. 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 Well, you um, actually nailed it in the first yeah, 10 minutes of this podcast. There's pop up. I mean, it's it's a great it's, it's a Probably great book. Because, I mean, I've read Culture and Materialism by Raymond Williams, but like most people, I find him incredibly uh, hard to read. But they say in this, you know, Matthew Arnold was actually writing at the time of the Hyde Park riots, wasn't he? Um, in the eighteen sixties, and he was specifically looking at what he saw as the mob, yeah. and so his idea of culture comes out of this like horror of like, oh no, yeah. let's stop this from happening. And in Culture and Society, was that Williams's first book, isn't it? Culture and Society is like first... It's not first, it's his first major yeah, book. Yeah, first major that, book. And, and in Cultural Society, Williams is saying that he said it was his whole point of writing Culture and Society was as a reaction against yeah. that dominant bourgeois way of looking at culture, was it not? Yeah. So I what then does he replace it with? So one way of thinking about Raymond Williams's sort of career is... I think as he's kind of a, a case study of why a certain kind of critique of culture happened at, at that at a certain time in sort of mid twentieth century Britain. Okay, so Raymond Williams comes from a working class background. He comes from a small village, the village of Pandy, just outside Abergavenny, in the border country, uh, sort of um, East Wales. He comes from a working class background. His father was a railway signalman. On the local uh, at the local railway station, but his you know his father was a card carrying Labour member and was a polit- you know a political figure caught up in the um, nineteen twenty six general strike and and so you know he's born into a kind of a pretty politicised family and a politicised situation as as Britain was in the nineteen thirties you know heightened political situation so he he sort of has a political education anyway but goes to grammar school but ends up um, studying at Cambridge in the 1930s, where he's taught by someone called F.R. Leavis. So Leavis was a literary critic, very much in the Matthew Arnold mould. And, you know, we're still espousing this idea that, you know, what cultural criticism should do is, the key word for him was scrutinise, was to Leavis established a journal called Scrutiny, which sort of scrutinised the best culture and that, you know, 
cultural critics should be gatekeepers of kind of that decided on the best culture that that should then be disseminated to the broader society that would then you know serve to mollify them and you know serve all the purposes of social cohesion that we just sort of mentioned so Raymond, coming from a working class background, comes up against these, you know, dominant definitions of culture that are still being sort of still controlling the state of status quo, if you like, in Cambridge at that time and across the university system and sort of takes issue with it and says, well, that's not a reasonable definition of what I would consider culture. You know, (laughs) I come from a community that's perfectly articulate and as interested in culture as as any of the elitist people that you know the elitist gatekeepers in that were working in Cambridge at that time, and that he was suggesting that maybe there was a problem with the, the definition of culture that we had was that you know culture was something that was generally written by middle class white Western European men. So Raymond in Cambridge by this point in the late 1930s and you know he's come from a politicized background and he's read Marx and he's met, read Marxist theory as it as it had been translated into English at that point and so he and many other people in the communist party at that time in Cambridge you know started mounting a different kind of critique and a different kind of way of approaching this idea of culture so rather than looking at culture as kind of this elitist phenomenon that's kind of somehow outside of social relations he starts in a way you know you apply the most basic marxist theory to that very idea of culture and you realize well culture is not something some abstract idea that's outside of social relations and that transcends time and place and that we have there's this these universally great artists that somehow embody the human experience but Culture is a is an innately ideological phenomenon that, as I say, in the most basic Marxist terms, serves the purpose of reproducing the conditions of production, right? And the conditions and relations of production. You know, that's not a difficult concept. Williams was in particular involved in nuancing that critique over the course of, you know, the rest of his writings, really, the rest of his career. But that basic critique of culture as something that is obviously connected to society and social relations because it's inherently always ideological, was like a major move forward and a radical departure from all the work on culture that had been done before. So once you've got, once you come from this position that, well, culture isn't universal, actually it's it's part of the social experience and, and comes out of the social experience of not just the bourgeoisie and the upper class, the upper classes, but, you know, all social activity is in some respect cultural, you know, I'm generalizing some pretty complex ideas here, but that's broadly what he's saying. That Well, that, that gives you a completely different perspective on what we mean by the word culture, because then culture isn't just abstract and outside of social experience. You know, it's possible then from a broadly Marxist perspective, I would say, although that sort of was translated into what we now know as cultural studies, you know, after the 1950s and 1960s and everything, everything that happened with the new left, into a different kind of critique. Culture is the embodiment of particular kinds of social relation. It's a, it's a different way of critiquing society then, a different way of critiquing social relations, and actually a really valuable way of critiquing social relations because where other forms of um, social analysis, sociological analysis, historiography, you know, political economy, looks at the broad kind of for, you know, economic and social forces that shape the social experience, what an analysis of cultural production can do is give you more of a sense of kind of 
the nuances, the in-between and the, the, the grey areas of the social experience that you don't necessarily get from, you know, traditional Marxist deterministic perspectives on the way that economies shape ideologies and shape the social experience. What does Williams mean then when he says culture is ordinary? Because that's like the famous Yeah. It's a Blur album, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It sounds like, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, that's like the famous phrase associated with Williams. Yeah. Is that to do well, with, was, was he thinking about like his own working class background or like where he'd come from when he, he set, came up with that? Yeah, I think, well, it's it comes from, you know, his experience getting to Cambridge in the 1930s, coming up against these elitist attitudes that were suggesting that, you know, it's not even the, the working class experience isn't even worthy of consideration because it doesn't embody these these values that just so happen to be you know white male middle class values right and so he's saying that well actually my social experience as a working class person in south wales uh, in the 1920s and 1930s there of course there's value in that social experience and of course there's value in the culture that's produced out of those working class experiences you know, to to suggest otherwise is clearly bourgeois bourgeois elitism and completely disingenuous and um, a, lot. I mean, a way I... of just marginalising the working class experience. Like, it's a pretty obvious thing to see when we see it from this perspective. But at the time, that was a, a radical, like I say, a radical departure from on from the approaches to culture that were being established at the time. And so, for Ray Williams to come out in the what the late nineteen fifties and say that culture is ordinary. And that culture isn't just elite. Culture is everything that's produced by human societies. Then you know that's a that's a fundamental step forward in in the way that we conceptualize the idea of culture. I think that the the statement "culture is ordinary" it just seems so sort of banal. But when you think about it and unpack it, it's really empowering. I think in in many ways. I mean, firstly because it allows you to actually give value and and pride in working class practices and see well this. Uh, gambling, gambling, <laughs> watching the boxing, football, but you know, like, um, I'm but, allowed to watch football now. It's but these, yeah. no, but it, it gives modern slavery. It gives it gives um it allows, <laughs> um, but it you know it it allows you to sort of study and celebrate and look at working class culture and think, oh, this is actually of value. Except the gym, uh, <laughs> and the other thing which I think is is so interesting about what you said about what happened in, in cultural studies is. Is yeah, absolutely. Once you consider culture as ordinary a part of the whole, not melange, that's like a Poulantzas used to say that, just a whole sort of a constellation of like social relations, and you can actually look within culture and see what ideologies or power relations are involved in all forms of culture. So it's not yeah. just look, you don't have to just look at, and this is why I thought Stuart Hall and um, the New Left are so, well, good in a way, is that you, you, you can start looking at, TV shows, you know, magazines like popular literature and stuff mm. like that, and you can actually look at like, well, how do these things either embody or reproduce or go against dominant modes of thought of the time? Yeah. And you know how hegemonic ideologies are actually crystallized and reproduced in sort of the most banal cultural things like yeah. film yeah. Um, and music and things like that. And yeah. and that is something that you can, you know, when we obviously we did the work of Mark Fisher very briefly in our episode on neoliberalism, but stuff like that, you know, Fisher, cult, a cultural mm. critic, looking at the mm. the ideologies that are, that permeate culture, none of this would have been possible without Raymond Williams. And I think I was used to be critical of Raymond Williams because you look at, like, culture is ordinary. You're like, well, yeah, no shit. Like, I mean, for 
I think if you come from a like a left perspective in the UK now, it seems so obvious. But as they make clear in politics and letters, you know, culture and society was a groundbreaking work. It's like, you know, there wasn't anything before that. It sort of shone the path really. It was yeah. it was Raymond Williams that opened up the field of culture as a mm. as a way of studying it. And and there's also one of the controversies and I've struggled to get my head on this is like to what extent is Raymond Williams a Marxist Raymond Williams a Marxist thinking, to what extent does he fit into the Marxist tradition? And obviously that he gets hammered for it in the politics and letters because they're just like um we won't spend too much time looking at how you know the relationship between culture and the economy and, and classical Marxist thinking. But um, I think if you were going to look at what Marxist approaches to culture would be pr- prior to Raymond Williams, maybe, I'd say it probably has three features. One, that culture is probably secondary to the economic base. Mm-hmm. And within historical materialism, society changes because of changes in in the economy. That's what, you know, at the last instance drives everything. And culture is on the scene as a something that's secondary an irrelevance or or something that's maybe interesting at most but not doesn't like drive changes in society secondly uh, marxist cultural critics were allegedly guilty of reproducing some of the worst traits of levis et al you know studying mm. works of great men elitist culture and, and things like that and then the trait would be just to you know say well the only culture that is good would be like communist art or literature which yeah. is actually something it's, I've got a lot of time for, you know, the idea. And, and a correct analysis. Yeah, like Brecht is the only good poet and things <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, but those are, say, <laughs> like, like, those are like the dominant approaches, you know. To, the highest to, type of art is cul- Soviet bus stops. <laughs> yeah, to, 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 to culture sort of prior to that. And we wouldn't have, like, as you said, culture studies, the new left, Stuart Hall, all these thinkers um, and their approaches to study. Like, I just think Raymond Williams is, it allows us to study everyday life, doesn't it? In a, in a more, yeah. I just, I don't know, I just think it's, even though he's dense as shit and it's really hard to read, yeah. the actual radicalism of his argument, you can only really appreciate when you put it in the context, yeah. the historical context. The, uh, the, when it, of the time when it was written. And where, and where he's coming from as a person yeah. as well. Yeah, in that sense, the work is, a you know, the thesis that he's sort of expounding is an, is an embodiment of the the very class relations that he was trying to critique. Because he was coming up, you know, it was a class-based set of prejudices that um, he was coming up against. And so, it, you know, it was a radical thing to to basically start to dismantle the kind of, this kind of, um, this extremely powerful set of ideas um, about um, what was supposedly worthwhile culture and what wasn't. Because that was based on a, a, a form of class analysis. Sort of to respond to some of the things you said about classical Marxist approaches to culture... Um, the idea that that culture is somehow maybe less worthy of analysis because it's secondary to economic social relations. Well, one of the things that Raymond Williams did, and I, you know, I'm using Raymond Williams to stand in for a whole set of other thinkers. <laughs> you know, he was the embodiment of a, a whole, you know, tradition of Marxist thinking in these terms. But he, did, his, a lot of his work did crystallize and clarify a lot of these concepts for me, anyway. The idea that it's secondary to the economy. Well, what it, what, I mean, what he's trying to suggest really with the, the phrase culture is ordinary is that, well, it, culture is not secondary to social relations. In a way, culture is the medium through which social relations happen. You know, language is a cultural phenomenon that's loaded with different values. And so a certain kind of Marxist analysis of language and and 
cultures as form as really kinds of language that that sustain certain kinds of social communities you know if you take that argument to its to its um, conclusion well you know everything is cultural and so you you, you know you it's it's a bit of a false dichotomy to try to separate culture from social relations because social relations happens through the medium of culture, you know, if that makes sense. The, our social experiences are always to some extent cultural, no matter how much they're conditioned by the economic, you know, structures under which we live. At the same time, tricky set of concepts to try and manage. But I suppose that's partly what, you know, the, the value of what he achieved is that he's showing the value of a certain of certain kinds of cultural criticism. Perry Anderson and stuff say like, you know, you're because he, he looks at the relations of culture the role of culture within a society and he doesn't privilege the economy basically. They say these passages appear in frontal contradiction with a central tenet of historical materialism, i.e. the primacy or determination in the last instance of the economy economic within any social totality, blah blah blah. Um, but then Raymond I think rejects it pretty well. Well, firstly, he's looking, as you said, he's looking at social experience, like almost within within society. He said, um, like classical Marxist cases would show, they focused on how determinant in particular cases, economic, political practice had been over the whole of the rest of actual living. And they characteristically involved an extreme selecti- selectivity in this demonstration of particular consequences and exclusion of other kinds of activity, which did not bear the stamp of any such direct relation, i.e. economic changes. Above all, the extraction of one area of emphasis within the society, the abstraction of the mm-hmm. capitalist mode of production, tended to lead by repetition to a substitution of terms of analysis for terms of substance. So basically he's saying that, you know, the, the constant relentless focus on changes to the economic basis way society changes. He's not denying that, but he just says he wanted to focus on not the minutiae within society, but like just, just other elements of how... Yeah. And, and, he, and he, he, um, he says it's basically... A, it just fits into a system, is what you're saying. The culture. He's not saying it's it's the most important thing. He's just saying you can't. He's basically saying you can't just focus all the time on the economic base um, and how it changes because people do other stuff as well. Yeah. Within the society. Yeah, I, I, you know, that's that's a major thesis of his is that you know culture is a way of life and it's you know partly what he's doing is moving Marxist theory. From a, a kind of quite a rigidly determinist idea of the ways that social relations play out, towards one that focuses more on lived experience yeah. and the idea that um, yeah humans uh, humans <laughs> actually have a degree of agency over their lives. You know, as much as that is imposed by and you know the limits and pressures, as was he would say, that that kind of that do provide the boundaries and the limitations upon which you it's possible to act but that human beings do have a degree of agency in the in the things that they choose to do and one of the things that humans throughout history have chosen to do is is create things and create culture you know and so therefore culture is worthy of consideration especially from a marxist perspective because it reveals the ways in which sort of the gaps and the fissures if you like in the very powerful, admittedly very powerful structures that are imposed upon human beings by particular sets of economic relations. Culture is an embodiment of the fact that humans, you know, are able to think against those structures. Like a counterculture type thing. Exactly, and think and, and create countercultures that don't just um, reproduce the conditions of, of, <laughs> of production. 
I mean, there's huge ongoing debates about how true that is and how much agency people in society have and how much agency artists have and, and, and everyday people, you know, ev- ev- that people have generally. That's an ongoing debate in Marxism that, you know, I, I won't even begin to try to get to to just make a start on. But I think that was one of Williams's really important contributions to Marxist theory was that, you know, it, it's a shift away from this deterministic perspective to, to something that's slightly more flexible and, and, and allows um, humans slightly more agency in terms of the way that they choose to live their lives. And the key phrase that he sort of invented to describe these um, relations is, you know, the idea of structure of feeling. So structure of feeling may sound like an oxymoronic phrase that doesn't quite make sense. You know, how can you, how can feelings be structured? But that's the point he's making that, you know, human experience is always a dialectic experience that, that there's always a sense of relation between the ways that we feel that we inhabit our social lives and the structures that are imposed upon us. And so a, Structure of feeling kind of captures that sense of nuance and dialectic between imposed structures and limitations and the experience of those structures, you know. I mean, so in a way, he's moving past and beyond a kind of simplistic false consciousness sense of what culture is and that, oh, well, culture is just, you know, a pure ideology distilled and towards something that's more like, as I say, giving humans more of a sense of agency over their own experiences one of the kind of directions that that kind of analysis takes you is is well because culture and I, I i'm talking now of culture in the in the broader sense of culture being ordinary and culture being all forms of human expression and creativity whether that's ballet or whether that's football or whatever you know forms of human creativity and activity that are all cultural well because culture is always an embodiment of a set of structures uh, of a given structure of feeling, then cultural anal- analysis is fundamental to understanding the way that society imposes itself on our experience. And so that that's what that's partly what we're trying to do with this episode, I suppose, is justify the critique of culture as something that's worthwhile because understanding culture can can give you invaluable insights into the nature of the way that particularly in the society, the neoliberal society that we're living in, the way that that's imposing its its sensibilities and its senses of self on the, the people who inhabit it. So it's kind of moving the, the direction of kind of focus from the broad structures, which, you know, when you when you frame them in those terms, seem completely immovable and, and all-powerful and all-encompassing towards the, a focus on everyday life and people and the people that inhabit those structures and saying, well, people have agency, you know, it's possible for us to set up a podcast that critiques what's, you know, the nature of neoliberal capitalism. And it's yeah. even more possible when people donate to our Patreon. <laughs> I think that's the, the, that's the and key. And buy t-shirts, <laughs> wear the t-shirts. This is the key though, isn't it? I mean, ironically for someone who writes in such an impenetrable, dry manner, I mean, <laughs> it is about the human experience, isn't it? And, and, and in The Long Revolution, he says, or he's trying when he's trying to back himself up against like Perry Anderson and stuff, he's saying, I'm talking about the human experience, basically. Yeah. Uh, and he says, when people were accusing him of, of privileging culture and ignoring, let's say, the economic mode of production, he says, it was an effort to reinstate what had been radically neglected, i.e. culture. Mm. And this was taken by others as people interpreted that as saying, oh, that 
he viewed culture as being the most important thing, whereas obviously he didn't. He said it's time yeah. to study culture and, study and how people understand yeah. their society. And understand it as being as part of a broader, you know, you, it doesn't mean you can completely ignore economic relations. No, he said, They're part of the same structure. Yeah, he says, I mean, there's, he says there's a, an inseparability of structures. He said there are inextricable interrelations between politics, art, economics, family organisation, like everyday life. They're all into, I mean, yeah. I actually think that like, Gramsci's idea of the historic block is really useful there, but um, we'll do that in another episode. Um, but it's just, I think it's a really interesting, holistic way of, of understanding how society actually works under capitalism. Isn't it? Whereas if you look at like someone like Kautsky... Or any social... Yeah. yeah. You know, if you, whereas, if you look, whereas if you look at like Kautsky and other sort of determinist Marxists, it's just like society moves on, you know, the, hmm. what was it? Marx says like the, you know, the, the water mill gives us a particular mode of society and then like another like tool gives us a particular mode of society. But within that society... There are different modes of human expression that are thrown up and people experience yeah. life differently because of their relationship to these things. And it's all sort of culture. Isn't it? And that's why Raymond's such a good tool or heuristic. <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously, I just I just read that word and it was just like, okay, time to use this word every day. The Onion did an article and it was like, um, oh, this looks like confirmation bias, says man who's just discovered the concept of confirmation bias. <laughs> but structure, stru- structure feelings are really interesting um concept i'm glad you glad you explained that i don't know if i explained it but yeah but, but and can i just before you go any further maybe an easier way of kind of um a, a better metaphor for this stuff for structural feeling i always had trouble with trying to make out what he really meant by that and i think that people are still trying to make sense of what he meant by a lot of the things he wrote but it's worth bearing in mind that raymond williams wasn't just a cultural critic he was also a novelist and the fact that for him, the, the the culture that he produced, the novels that he produced, were themselves a way of expressing his ideas in a in a in a different discourse. Obviously, <laughs> maybe a more slightly more accessible discourse. Only slightly, a slight yeah. bit more accessible. Yeah, if you read Border Country, really, 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 th- really thinly uh, disguised, thinly veiled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, there's Raymond a w. one of the interesting kind of, um, I suppose maybe heavy-handed metaphors in, in Border Country. The 1960 novel, you know, is published a year after Culture and Society, so, you know, he's thinking along the same lines. So it's about a, a lot of things, but it's about... Um, him. The, the main character is sort of him, yeah, <laughs> the veiled version of himself. But the character in the novel is um, an economic historian. And what the character, Matthew slash Will, he's got two names, um, what Matthew comes to realise is that the, the models of thinking that economic history provides simply can't capture the nuances of, of the lived experience of societies, right? And so he uses this metaphor of ice cubes. And what what traditional economic history does is it, it uses data and, and figures and facts and figures in a way that freezes, if you like, it's a mode of analysis that freezes um, the experience of, of people rather than understand these ongoing, the dialectical, processual nature of the relations between people and society. And so, you know, the novel, you know, his, his novel writing in a way is, is a way of melting the ice cubes and not just framing, you know, and analysing certain societies in a very rigidly deterministic way, but to, to look at culture as a way of understanding the ongoing nature, dialectic nature, the dialogic nature of social relations, and that we're not all just... 
um, living under a very rigid economic system, but that you know it's possible to think against those systems and 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 in the thinking against, we might actually take society in a different direction. I mean, that's why Ray, I mean Raymond's good on you know counter hegemony, isn't he? And cultural materialism, and, and he talks about what is it emergent residual and dominant forms of culture and things like that. Um, yeah. Or maybe we don't talk about that. Um, well, that's yeah. That's kind of what I was getting at with you know the, the definition. I mean, he's completely right, as you can see, because because the definition that the mainstream, if you like dominant definition of culture that is still in play in our society today still uh, is still freighted with those very archaic ideas <laughs> that were sort of came out of the 19th century and even earlier you know 19th century bourgeois intellectuals you know that even no matter how despite the the kind of the progress that was made in cultural thinking in the 20th century and on in an ongoing way we're still living under a set of class relations that imposes these definitions on us, you know. How does that fit in with Desolation Radio? <laughs> we're emergent. Are we emergent? Are we emer- no. no, I mean, well, I, what I thought was quite useful, <laughs> is, um, I, I thought what I mainly sort of cherry-picked from culture and society was um, oppositional versus alternative culture. I thought that was quite interesting within any yeah. sort of totality that there's there's always a cultural cultural formations which seem to be radical but actually or oppositional um, meaning you know something was against the status quo there's all this stuff that's alternative which which aesthetically seems to be against the the status quo but is actually yeah. in the last instance doesn't challenge it at all yeah. that would be like owen jones um <laughs> or the guardian or so, you know things that yeah. you know but i, I do like I, 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 yeah, I do i do like to think about things like that you know um i do think it's a is looking at alternative versus uh oppositional cultures is a really interesting way of understanding politics who wrote the book conquest of cool oh i forget know. but that's you know it's about how you know advertising and marketing like co-opt any sort of um yeah, radical forms of culture you know it's like, well yeah, like logo, yeah like yeah like yeah pepsi max like uh being like associated with snowboarding and now pepsi max protesting like, like. black lives matter and stuff like that and it's um yeah. and in culture uh, in culture materialism williams is amazing i think on looking at how the dominant culture as a society or like um let's say neoliberalism is so amazing at actually absorbing potentially yeah. threatening yeah. countercultures and uh, counter hegemonic ideas and like rearticulating them and basically like selling them mm. selling them back or what he says like neutralizing them and then he counterposes that to stuff which is actually oppositional which is actually a threat to the established order and like he says <laughs> like us, yeah. <laughs> yeah and those things he says tend to get either marginalized or stamped yeah. out pretty quickly um, and or stuff become abject and completely outside yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um, what does he say it's something like if so the culture is is very able to it's very malleable and it's very able to sort of take on board let's say a potentially threatening alternative cultures or aesthetics and just neutralize them and he says that which can't be absorbed gets like extirpated with extreme vigor or something like that so it just gets like stamped out but I always think about this when you look at like subcultures and, and aesthetics within society and this is all again Raymond Williams like you know tattoos and stuff I don't go on about tattoos but how tattoos used to be like associated with subcultures and yeah. and like you look at a lot of British British youth subcultures and stuff and and they're completely co-opted and absorbed by mainstream and then obviously you know tattoos are now you're more likely to see like I saw some like meme the other day and it was like tattoos used to mean you've done like 20 years in Rikers Island and now you know it means you're a pastry chef (laughs) who went to a public school working in East End of London do you know what I mean Uh, like with a neck tattoo 
neck tattoos especially like i remember being you know not that long ago a neck tattoo was really extreme yeah i can can, can still say that like on in cardiff like neck tattoos are still uh (laughs) still definitely a sign of uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah but no, yeah, you, but like, yeah, it, it, you're right. The things just get absorbed and, and rearticulated. And again, I think that's this is all Raymond Williams. This is, yeah. Well, I yeah, I mean him, uh, you know, and other <laughs> influential cultural critics. But I mean, what Raymond Williams's work enabled was this whole new field of of academic, you know, rigorous intellectual thought that not always that rigorous actually when I think of cultural studies in the abstract, but. Um, you know, it, it offers you a set of models for thinking about uh, in what ways culture yeah, advertising the media the these power relations, and so you know it's one way of it's a long winded way of saying that culture is <laughs> worth looking at because it, it it really reveals a lot about the nature of the some of these power dynamics that are you know ongoing power dynamics that condition our experiences in in the society we're living in, which I suppose. Brings us to talking about why we might look at Welsh culture. What is Welsh culture? This is what I mean. I mean, I spoke about it at the beginning, obviously tongue in cheek, the idea that talking about Raymond Williams and having Kieran's Culture Corner. Um, yeah, would be, well, you I know, forgot would, about we were going to call it Kieran's Culture Corner. But um, yeah, we ran K- into like some. KKK. Yeah. yeah, we ran into some. Um, like this, this, yeah, yeah, there yeah. were these guys who like kind of fancy dressed as ghosts and stuff. Yeah, it just can be boring. a bit weird. Yeah, no, <laughs> Halloween like. But I did, you know, that we did say, oh, you know. Jokingly, this would get us money from like the you know, various like funding streams in Wales. But I do maintain that if you look at like the the ecosystem of culture in Wales, we are very incredibly wedded to this elitist, like I would say bourgeois cultural sort of well not formation. But it, it's just there's still I don't know. I just see, it just seems to me that in Wales there's a lot of money and that the, the culture like Welsh culture, whether Welsh language or English language. Is always still elitists in a way that, I mean, it's probably overdone. But even in a way that, like, dare I say that you know, Scotland has got like um, a huge amount of working class writers and and artists have, have sort of come through. And obviously, we've had like a lot of working class musicians doing like uh, cool Cymru and things like that. But I st- I still maintain that if you look at how Welsh culture is sort of set up, it's elitist. You know, it's very focused on like. Books, poetry—it seems to me, anyway, from the outside looking in. Well, um, I think it doesn't seem accessible. I would disagree that necessarily, you know, literature and poetry are necessarily elitist, right? And I don't, I, and I do, I do disagree that all Welsh culture is elitist. I don't, I don't think that. I think it, it's, it's a complex landscape, and that that's maybe one of the things that we could try and figure out and and navigate is like, well. Where is the elitism, and how is how is that exerting its power? And where are the potentially progressive energies, and what what and where are they happening in, in Welsh culture right now? Because I do think there's a lot of really interesting and um, progressive and um, you know worthwhile things happening culturally in Wales right now. I mean, you're, uh, but, you're uh, on, but the you're point, the pod, is, I suppose, the broader point. Sorry, Nate, but oh. <laughs> but shut up. Um, <laughs> but uh, the broader point to make is that. Not much of this is visible. Okay? Of course it's not. I, you know, I didn't, talking from my own experience, I had no idea that there was a, a Welsh culture in the English language until I went to do a master's 
you know, when I was in my late twenties, in my mid twenties, I had no idea. I was, at, you know, the the school that I went to in South Wales offered none of nothing of a perspective on the culture that was right around the corner from where I'm living, and the, and the things that were happening besides the obvious things like stereophonics and mastery preachers. Yeah, you know, and so from my own experience, it was really enlightening, but kind of empowering to see that oh, actually. There are some really interesting things happening in Wales, and there are there's a whole history and legacy of of really progressive, brilliant artists and writers and musicians that have been you know working away in Wales under the radar. Yeah, and, and, and my experience, we said this before, is absolutely identical. You know, and it was only until you know very 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 recently when I read Ashley Youngman's sleeve, I can honestly say that's the first, you know bit of Anglo-Welsh literature I've ever read in my life, you know. Yeah, Anglo-Welsh is like a no-no term now. Yeah, no, okay, um, but, <laughs> you know, all right, well, well, okay, um, well, all right, Welsh, Welsh writing in English. Um, and I just thought, this is so this is so absolutely ridiculous that, you know, how has it taken me this long to... And, and then, you know, I went to um, St. David's recently, I picked up a book, um, Old Soldiers Never Die by Frank Richards, which looks amazing. And then you look at books like, you know, I'd never heard, until you know, until I met you, and spoke to people like Daryl Leeworthy. I'd never heard of authors like Gwyn Thomas, uh, Ron Berry. Um, I just never heard of them. And like you know, so in school we didn't do it. You know, we did poetry by Julian Clark, and that's it. But and yeah. but but the interesting thing then is is why if these writers exist, the fact that we don't know about them is is in itself yeah. worthy of study. And that speaks to a certain set of power relations within this country. Mm-hmm. You know, like, why why aren't we being taught these? Mm-hmm. Why would it be remotely controversial for kids in the Valleys to read about Valleys Life by Rachel Trissize yeah. or, yeah. you know, or Ron Berry or Gwyn yeah. Thomas? You know, is it, it not it, a tr- it, is it not a travesty that they're not on the curriculum? Um, and that in itself is is worthy of study. And, and I can't shake the, the idea that there is a very bougie sort of feel to culture in Wales. You know, it seems to be very... I can't think of another sort of working class author other than Rachel Tresize. But, but again, but as you say, I mean, that makes a really good point that, 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 you know, the very fact that these um, figures, these really interesting artists and writers uh, have no visual exactly, visibility. Yeah. And there, there's, there's, there are reasons for that <laughs> that um, are worth looking at. Even if you look so at the So it is a, comp- it's a, you know, Wales is not, you know, we talked about this recently, but Wales is not a singular thing. And it's a complicated thing (laughs) and so you know it's it's worth trying to make sense of all the different layers of um activity that are happening at the moment i'm not denying that there are there are certain bourgeois forces at play and other forces at play that are like skewing the picture that we generally see in the mainstream but that but there are other things happening as well and hopefully you know we'll try to but kieran's culture corner will be avowedly proletarian and you've promised that you won't (laughs) platform any bourgeois artists who already have their own so if you have unless you have, to execute them if you yeah. have a bank account basically you're not allowed yeah you're not allowed but I do th- I mean I do think if you spend time in you know chapter and things like that I mean th- these are the these are the things that wind me up but that even sp- even spaces you know cultural spaces feel elitist and feel different do you know what I mean but these are questions there's, that, there's a structured feeling going on there yeah, but, the, but these are these are things that Kieran's Culture Corner will will work out in time I'm sure maybe (laughs) (laughs) but I mean like okay like I mean I always think if you look at like well this is but I always think about if you look at grime and hip hop you know Mark Fisher like looked at like hip hop and how hip hop like 
personified like capitalist realism because it talked about like brutality of everyday life and it sort of celebrated it um, rather than sort of like offering anything against it. But in the UK, I always think, well, you know, if you look at grime, you know, this is a sort of very organic culture that's emerged from community spaces and community halls in London, basically based on the experiences of, you know, in the first instance, like, you know, migrants from the Caribbean. Yeah, and it's, it's been something... Is, yeah, I, at a certain scale of analysis, everything is capitalist. Of course, yeah. And so everything can be dismissed on those terms. That's not to say that, you know, some forms of culture that take place within capitalism offer people something that, you know, they wouldn't have otherwise. And that, you know, resistance isn't totally futile. And It was it was just more that I think, I don't know, I just I just get I always get the impression that in Wales, some people do very well out of culture. Um, oh, that is that I'm um, not disagreeing with that. And, you know, um, and there's a lot of gatekeeping involved. And there's a lot of um, elitism. And I don't know, I just can't... I think like any, yeah, like any uh, culture, there are coteries. Yeah. Um, definitely. So the idea uh, going forward with this pod, I suppose, is to um, get talking to artists, writers, musicians, cultural critics, uh, to get more of a sense of cultural activity and what's happening in Wales today but obviously specifically from a hardline Marxist perspective. That, Correct. Um, which is very marketable. Which is always marketable, yeah. 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 The T-shirts have done quite well. Uh, they have, Did that trip yeah. around Europe, which... Uh, that was good, that was. That. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who donated to our trip around Europe. Yeah. Um, and my funeral costs. So basically what you're saying, Kieran, is you're going to get to hang out with artists and musicians and I've got to keep talking about political theory. Yeah, I'm just going to chill. Sounds fair. I'm just going to chill with... Uh, <laughs> soft stuff and <laughs> no absolutely fantastic Kieran Smith Dr. Kieran Smith welcome to the podcast welcome to the family DKS um, we're now going to do should there be some kind of like ritual now yeah it's a jump in now so, yeah you have to uh, close your eyes and open your mouth um, <laughs> no we're going to do a jump in so um, Kieran's going to get his head kicked in for a little bit um, blood in blood out <laughs> that's just uh, how it just how it goes um, any shout outs uh, shout outs um, just my fam Okay. Just my general fam. <laughs> yeah, shout out to my family as ever. Um, um and a shout out to the EU Supergirl. Oh yeah. Who I, I do not know is like just yeah. Hundred percent a psyop. Yeah. Hundred percent. Planted it, by it, the CIA. It's like. absolutely elite level satire, and mm. she's revealed a hand like at the last genius moment. Incredible. What do I shout out Bootlegger? Oh, yeah, shout out to yeah. Bootlegger. Uh, all right, yeah, shout out to Boy Bootlegger, who's just getting weirder and weirder. So keep doing what you're doing. Uh, very inspirational, I think. Um, stop me. That from do- is culture. Stop, yeah, stop <laughs> me from doing any work, basically. Yeah, that's it, guys. Also, I did listen to Politics Theory Other the other day, and they've got like a very slick uh, way of presenting. So in future, I'm gonna, I sort of remind people you can listen to our uh, podcast on SoundCloud. We are also on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Desolation at Desolation Wales. I was going to check, is that it? Yeah, at Desolation Wales. Um, we've also got a Patreon if you want to donate. And look out, because we're going to be um, hopefully putting on a couple of live events in the near future. And some limited, uh, a limited run of t-shirts as yeah. well. We just we just need to steal some from Sports Direct and then uh, we're good to go. So thanks so much for listening. Catch you next time. All right, cheers. Cheers. I don't get it. When is stuff art? Uh, hey, guys, guys, um, if I may, I think I can sum this all up. You see, art is an ambiguous thing. Yeah. 
And just because you make some art, it doesn't mean that you're an artist. But also, it does mean you're an artist. But does it mean that that art is good art? Is art good just because the right people say it's good? Yes. Yes. That's, that's how it works. You know, but keep in mind, you know, a lot of modern art is, is trash. I mean, it's shitty. It's, it's, not, you know, it's not good. It's terrible. You know? And yet, it's a fine line between Van Gogh and Van Damme, you know, between Depp and Greco, between Banksy and Charlie. It makes it very difficult to determine what's good art, you know, what's high art, what has worth, what has meaning. Yeah. But if one thing has become abundantly clear to me today, and it should be to all of you as well, is that I wasn't raped.